so you know, we are literally the halfway point of our fall small group campaign. We've been studying the letter of James to the church. And uh, so if you're like, oh my gosh, I'd love to learn all about James. Good news. We have our podcast still up online. You can go listen to those podcasts. Listen from the last six weeks. We are now jumping into James chapter three uh, this morning. And, and again, I want you just to recognize and remember as James is coming, like James, if you read, he's talking about the, and there's language around James that James is coming and saying, Hey, like I see myself as like a spiritual father for you guys. You are like my spiritual brothers and sisters, my spiritual children. And so I'm coming and speaking this message, not as someone from a distance who's wagging his finger at you saying, hey, get better at these things as someone who's disconnected, but someone who is really passionately in love with his people. And he's looking at them saying, hey, I want you to be aware of how you're living your life so that you are living life in the way that Jesus would live his life while he were still on earth. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the theme of chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and it's simply this, our words have power. Like, if you're to sum up these entire set of verses that we're looking at this morning, you could sum it up just this way. Our words, or your words, they have power. And when you think about power, you think about power, you think about influence, and the idea is their words have power for good, but as we'll see, our words also have power for bad. Right. They have power to to create and produce life. They have the power of destruction that our words literally can keep God's will from happening in our life. And our words can literally keep God's will from happening in other people's lives. That's just a big setup as we dive in this morning to chapter three, starting in verse one. You can follow along with me or in your Bible or on the screen behind me. Verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and my sisters... This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. One of the things I've come to in reading through the letter of James is that he really kind of overarchingly is coming and attacking hypocrisy in the church. 
He's attacking the danger and the likelihood of hypocrisy in the church. Those who claim to be Christians, but their actions don't match up. Because he recognizes, and we all know this language, this is the language of Jesus, that that specifically, right, we are called to be salt and light to the world. They are called to be salt and light to the world. It basically means this, they're to be Jesus to the world around them. Like the things that they do and the actions and the words that they say, they are to be like Jesus speaking to the world. And here in these verses, James is specifically naming, looking at and challenging them in how they speak and how they use their words. Will they succeed or fail with the words that come out of their mouths? Will they, will they live out their conviction? That all people are created in God's image. Will they be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Will they embrace the royal law we looked at a couple of weeks ago of loving their neighbor as themselves? The idea is James is coming and saying, like, you can say with your mouth that you're a Christ follower here, But if it's not matching up with how you speak to other people, then it creates a level of hypocrisy and that damages the entire body of Christ. It damages the name of Jesus and it literally keeps people who are far from him to come near to him. He's attacking this problem of hypocrisy where I don't know if you've ever seen people like this, but they say they know Jesus and then their words over here never match up. He's coming and speaking to that. This section is built off, I mean, honestly, if we, these are words I would love to, like if I, could, if I could create an eraser and erase some things in the Bible, I might erase verse 26 of James 1 where it says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Like, I don't mean, did you just kind of like tune out from that verse because you didn't like what it says a little bit kind of probing? I'm going to read it again just for the feels, right? It says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight run, run, excuse me, tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Today, we are looking at the power And the danger of the words that we speak, for they either confirm the faith we profess, or honestly, our words can contradict it. So, let's begin by summing up the entire message for this morning in two sentences. Are you ready? It's going to be on the screen, so you can write it down. As believers... We face the trial and the temptation of using our tongue to tear people down who hurt us, who oppose us, or ridicule us, but that is not Christ-like. We must value every human being, for they are created in God's image, and we are to love them with our words so we do not become come across as hypocrites in a world who need Jesus. That's the whole message this morning summed up, okay? Like, literally, if you want to sound super smart, well, we'll see you said this morning as believers, right? No, so I'm going to read it again. As believers, we will face the trial, the temptation of using our tongue to tear people down who hurt us, oppose us, or ridicule us, but that is not Christ-like. We must value every human being, for they are created in God's image, and we are to love them with our words, so we do not come across as hypocrites in a world who need Jesus.
So with that in mind, let's break down these verses from James and let's see what we need to learn in the moment. So let's press pause as we start. Let me just say this this morning. If you've, if you've begun to realize, like, James is pretty direct and he's pretty much to the point, isn't he? Like, James doesn't beat around the bushes. He doesn't have some sort of pithy intro to stuff and a pithy going out of. He's like, I don't have time for that. I'm leading the entire church. You're out here. You don't have time for it. I want to create something that you can read and be very direct in. And so I love you, but I'm going to be direct. It's not going to be easy. It's going to slap you in the face, it feels like. But no, when I do it, it's strictly out of love for you and a desire for us as the body of Christ to be the body that Jesus is proud of speaking through. Okay? So it is hard. So if you came this morning hoping for some hope-filled message where I tell you how awesome you are and that God loves you and everything's going to be okay, that is true, but it's not the message this morning. James is going to be very direct with us, and he begins in verse 1. By, and I'm going to kind of give you overarching themes of these verses. Number verse 1, basically he's saying teachers will be judged more harshly. Teachers will be judged more harshly. So James begins by focusing on those whose words carry the greatest weight in the world. It's teachers. Like we understand, right? Teachers, they are trusted. Teachers have a great amount of influence. Teachers have a larger audience. Therefore, what they say, it has a massive impact. And he is warning those who are teachers and those who aspire to be teachers. He's he's, he's telling them, be sober. Be sober in your desire to teach and your desire to speak to others, to to share your opinion, to share what you know. Be sober in this, right? So in this, they have a large audience, a huge impact. And he's saying, listen, your words aren't more powerful But your influence is far more reaching, meaning your words carry a greater impact. You need to be careful. But here's the thing about it. Like, think about teachers and think about audiences. Like, I say teacher, and you think somebody's sitting on stage. You think about somebody in a classroom. But how many of you know that you can create an audience of one? You can create an audience anywhere you are. You can create an audience at a Starbucks, at a Publix. You can, you can, I mean, listen, you can create an audience in your car driving down the road with your kids, right? It's like, what he's saying in this moment is anybody in this, anybody in life, anybody in life who is desiring in their life to give advice, who want to teach others, and who want to speak, you need to be careful. James is alluding back to his practical advice that everyone, including those who want to teach, must first, what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And those who do teach, they must be sober, they must be mature and careful, recognizing they are held accountable for their words. Do you know people who just love to speak before they ever listen? They love to get their point across without actually hearing first what's going on. Like people who just like walk into a room, you're in the middle of a conversation to hear one word and they just start talking at you, right? Because they want to be heard. And so this happens all the time, every day for us. And the question we have to begin to ask is, are we those people? 
Do we want to be heard more than we want to listen? And so James is coming and saying, listen, if you want to be one who gives advice, if you want to be one who others listen to, you need to be sober and realize you must first be quick to listen. Because you can't speak into something unless you've earned the right by listening to what's going on in that person's life. Listen before you speak, right? Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. It absolutely especially in the culture in which we live, it's the most polarized it's ever been, be slow to anger. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger in this polarized world with people who are talking heads everywhere that you go. Do you ever watch the news? whether it's a conservative or quote-unquote liberal media, and do you watch people who want to spend more time talking and absolutely talking over people so they can get their points across and not listen? Do you think Jesus is excited about all of those shows in the news? Do you think... He is looking and saying, man, so thank you. Thank you so much for being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do we find ourselves being wrapped up in that and finding, our, finding ourselves more, more polarized in those things? And James is coming and saying, be careful. Be careful. You who want to share your opinions and get your thoughts across and do it with this like vigor and passion. Be careful. Are you listening to those you're talking to first? And then he comes in in verse 2 through 7 and says, the tongue is destructive and it's untamable. The tongue is destructive and it's untamable. In these verses, James gives several analogies to make honestly the same point. There's different things you can take away, but ultimately he's making the same point. The tongue in and of itself is a small thing, but its power and its influence is staggering. He describes the bits we put into horses' mouths. He names the rudder on a large ship. He names the small spark of fire that literally sets an entire forest ablaze. And then he names all the amazing creatures that have been tamed by humanity. You've got birds, you've got reptiles, sea creatures. But it says human beings cannot tame the tongue. You can do all these things, but you cannot tame the tongue. Instead, it is a restless Evil, he says, full of poison. Like, I mean, it's a little heavy-handed, don't you think, James? Right? It's like, that's heavy language, right? But that's a tongue. It's like, I'm just, and he means, obviously, the words that are coming from our mouth. But, like, these are, this is a really big deal to James. He's using dramatic and powerful imagery to make a clear point. The tongue is dangerous and the tongue is powerful. Last summer, we were driving through... Um, California, and and we were we we went this, we were with this couple and said, hey, we want to show you this area that was most damaged by the wildfires, right? So we dri- were driving through, and it's kind of a deserty area. There's still lots of trees, lots of trees, lots of trees. And all of a sudden, you came around this corner, and all of a sudden, it was just charred blackness everywhere. 
right? Literally. And we start telling these stories about these, these, tor- these fire tornadoes, literally, where it was so hot and it was creating such a, an updraft that it literally created this, this tornado, this cyclone, right? This tornado of fire that literally was absolutely 100% and completely devastating everything in the area. But Cameron's corner said, hey, you see that? There used to be a house there and there was literally no remnants of it whatsoever, and it started by a simple lightning strike. And I sat there in the moment, I'm reading through this going, man, we don't fully get the whole, like, setting something ablaze. But, man, you're in California looking at this going, my gosh, as far as the eye can see, it's utter and complete decimation and destruction. And James is saying, that is what your words do to other people. They ravage and destroy them. And you have to be careful. Like, how many of you have, like, how many of you have been on a cruise before? Right? Like, how many of you, while you're sitting on the cruise, people are like, I don't like raising my hand in public, right? No, like, you're like, yes, I've been on a cruise, right? You have this whole thing going on, and you're in this massive big shift. How many of you ever get worried about the captain getting drunk and doing this with the steering wheel? <laughs> right? I mean, literally, it's like I, there was a guy, I mean, literally, he was on a barge driving the Mississippi River, and he literally been drinking, and he went like this, and he took out an entire bridge and completely destroyed it, and cars were going down, and it was awful. Why? Because of this, with a rudder like this, that took a boat and completely runs it ashore, and now it's rendered completely useless. And James is saying that's what words do to people's lives. You say a word, it does this, and they are destroyed. And unless God does something, they will never, ever get back on the right path. Have you ever witnessed the power of words? Maybe in your family, from your parents. Maybe your grandparents to your parents. Have you ever seen it at work? Have you, I mean, everyone saw it in junior high, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever experienced it in your marriage? Have you ever seen words destroy a person or just make a situation worse? I mean, I feel like as husbands, we need to apologize all the time because we never say the right thing, right? Make every situation worse. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I said, but I'm sure it was terrible, right? It's like, no, we make things worse all the time. Why is it the same thing? We do it to, our, to one another in our marriages all the time. Have you ever seen disunity crop up in a healthy relationship or a healthy church because of something a person said? I mean, none of us are immune to James's words, are we? That's all. I'm just trying to invite you in to recognize this isn't just some theological tenet we can learn out here and tell somebody. No, it's something we've all experienced. We've all seen James is bringing this in. James, literally, he's naming a very real and present and prevalent issue for believers in every faith community. First thing we would take is your testimony. He would say, your testimony is quickly compromised by the words that come from your mouth. It's also by your actions, yes, but it's also by your words. Your, listen, your testimony immediately can be compromised for months or years because of words that come from your mouth. 
But even more alarming, this was the most alarming piece to me, and I think it was for James too, is your words, according to verse 6, can change the entire course of your life or someone else's life and literally keep God's will from happening in their life. Did you hear that? Did you tune me out because they started getting hard? Like your words, according to verse 6, can change the entire course of your life and change the entire course of someone else's life and keep God's will from happening in their lives. How many of you know today people whose lives have been tragically altered because of hateful and hurtful words spoken against them? They are not living their real life today because something was spoken when they were 10 years old. And they feel like they're living under a bubble of rejection. They don't know why, so they reject everybody else. I mean, in a very dramatic way, I've been overwhelmed this year. Hear this by reading news stories of children who committed suicide because they were being bullied by words. Does anybody think that suicide of a 10-year-old is God's will? No, someone's tongue spoke a word that set a fire that took this person, took their rudder like this, and they ended their life. Like, I use that very dramatically to just make the point that James is trying to make. Don't try to paint this over as something less than what it is. Right? Like if anywhere is in the body of Christ, we should be able to be honest. Don't, listen, don't send people to churches where they're not honest about what the Word of God says. Right? You know what I mean when I say that? Like, we're not trying to beat people up, but just to be honest. Tragic. Words corrupt, this is what it says, words corrupt the body, verse 6, and set the whole course of a person's life on fire. We have to ask ourselves, and we'll talk more about this, but have you ever set someone's life on fire by your words? But let's bring this back more to what the God's trying to do, I believe, in, in loving on us this morning. How many, of you, how many of you today are still wrestling with words that were spoken over you years ago that you feel have kept you from being fully you? Right? Thank you, Claudia. Claudia's like, that's me. Right? It's me. Thank you. word was spoken, rudder was turned against your will, you went over here and destroyed you, and you're not who God, you're not fully who you're capable of being in Christ today, and guess what he wants to do? He wants to heal, and he wants to redeem, and say, I have the power to get your boat back in position. I have this wave that can come, the tide rises, and I can take you and put you back. That's what he does. How many of you have heard words like you were worthless? You are a disappointment. You are ugly and you will never account to anything. How many of you speak those words over yourself and you believe in them? Words have the power to keep God's will from occurring in your life. James is saying, James is saying that is a true and legitimate reality. 
And he would say, guys, you have to be aware of this. You need healing, and healing is available. And then he goes down to verse 8 through 13. He says, our tongue is a contradiction, but it shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. Our tongue, it is a contradiction, but it shouldn't be and doesn't have to be. The great contradiction for James is clear in these verses. He goes, in one moment we worship, we praise, and we love on Jesus with our words. And then almost immediately sometimes we turn and we say something hateful, demeaning, and derogatory towards some other human being. He's saying it should not be so. It's a super practical. You shouldn't do that, guys. James is making a, a, a couple specific points here that I want all of us to see. In verse, this, here he's saying, in cursing other humans, he's saying, this is powerful. In cursing human beings, we in turn are cursing God. Another way of saying this, what you say about another human being is how you are speaking about God. James makes the point here that every human being is made in God's likeness. Did you see that? Every single human being is made in God's likeness. That's verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made. And he's saying human beings have been made in God's likeness. He's talking about believers and unbelievers alike. He's talking about human beings in the context of this verse, right? And so what he's saying is what you're saying about those human beings who are made in the image of God is what you're basically saying about God. That means that every human being is valuable because they, pair, they carry a part of God in them, meaning when you speak bad about them, you are speaking bad about the spark of the divine in them also. How you speak about any human being in turn because of the spark of the divine in them, created in God's image, is how you are speaking about God. James is once again going back two weeks James is once again speaking about the value and the equality of every human being, no matter who they are, no matter what sin they commit, no matter the lack of morality they contain, or the words that they speak against you. There's an equality. You can't look down and belittle anyone because you see them, you devalue them underneath you. So let's just name an issue that you're going to be hearing a lot about in this next political season, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, politics, don't worry, I'm not going to dive too deep into this, okay? But it's simply this, there's lots of like primary pieces that we discuss. One of those is immigration, Right? One of those is immigration. It's a prime, listen, it is the number one issue for millions of people, right? And so in the church, you have polar opposite viewpoints on immigration, right? Some people like, close the border. Some people like, open up the border, right? Some people like, build the wall. There's like, don't build the wall, right? And we have this all going back and forth. And here's the deal. We are, it is okay for us to be able in a civil way to have differing opinions on how we view this issue. But one thing, holistically, according to James, that we have to be on the same page about is immigrants themselves, Because immigrants themselves, no matter if you think that they are breaking law or just trying to save their families, each of them are holistically designed in the image and the likeness of God. And as you speak about immigration, you better be careful how you speak about the people in the immigration argument because they are people designed by God who are loved by God and who are chosen by God to spend eternity with him if they will turn their lives to him. 
So when you talk about immigration, have you cursed immigrants? Have you devalued them with your language? And the same can be said for every other primary issue, like the issue of abortion. Like Planned Parenthood. You may love it. I struggle with Planned Parenthood. There have been seasons I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate them. They're idiots. Blah, 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 blah. Right? I'm looking at it going, that was sin. I was completely devaluing human beings who were made in the likeness of God. I'm just being transparent. Don't throw stones. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for devaluing human beings into issues and letting the polarized nature of our political realm define how I view people in the overarching kingdom of God because all of this stuff submits to this. Does it for you? But then it plays itself out. So that's like, that's a little, oh my gosh, you talk about politics and church, all right. But let's talk about the context of your home. And how you speak to your spouse. And how you speak to your children. Kids, how you speak to your parents. Do you devalue? We must bless and not curse. Listen, all of you who have parents still living, I want to hear this. How, you don't have the right to say whatever you want to at any time to your parents. You don't have that right because they're human beings you have to value. You don't go speak negatively about anybody. Are you blessing or cursing? One of the things I think about all the time in the context of, is this even where my notes are on this? I don't think it is. I'll keep on going this. I'll keep on going. All right. Number two. I don't know. I've got lost. Here we go. So number two, we must judge the fruit of our own speech. We must judge the fruit of our own speech. I'm going to say that again. We must judge for ourselves the fruit of our own speech. James is once again very literal and very practical in his teaching. In the same way only fresh water should come from a spring, in the same way a fig tree should bear figs, so too only words of blessing should come from Christ followers, a.k.a. us. Right? He is challenging his readers to a high level of self-reflection, going, all right, look at the fruit you're producing. Are you producing fruit according to the tree that you say you've planted? Do you have the type of water flowing from you that is like a spring that you say you are? Be honest. Self-reflect. Sit back at the end of your day going, all right, let me think about the words that I said to my boss, my coworkers, the people in line, people at the game, the people in my own home, my neighbors. Like, I need to, I just need to be self-aware and see if in my words did I curse or did I bless? What did I look like? He is challenging his readers, right? This level of self-reflection. What type of words do we naturally encourage others? Do we naturally build others up? Do we love our neighbor with our words as we love ourselves? We must be honest about it with ourselves, about how we speak. We must recognize that every word that comes out of our mouth has the power to build up or tear down, to turn the rudder or to set a blaze of fire in a person's life. So you have to ask yourself, am I a tearer down or am I a builder-upper? Right? It's bad grammar. Help you remember it. Am I a tearer-downer or am I a builder-upper? 
right? What are you? Do you even know? Would you be too afraid to ask somebody what you are? Like, would you be afraid to go to somebody who knows you best, your spouse, your children, your parents, your best friends, your sister, your brother? Hey, Steve talked about this. Be honest with me. Be nice when you say it. Am I a terror-upper or a builder-downer? Terror-downer. Terror-downer or a builder-upper, right? Whatever. You know what I'm getting at? If we don't have people like that in our lives, then we're not really living in community. If we don't have people who will be honest with this, then we don't really have friends. You need people who will be brutally honest with you in love. And the third thing James is getting at is fruit speaks to what is in the heart. The fruit speaks to what is in the heart. Here's the deal. It's not actually the tongue that's the danger. It's the words in our heart that are the overflow from which our tongue speaks. Our tongue, is this a muscle over here? It's only speaking what's in the heart, right? And so the issue for us, the nature of all things, is that when something gets squeezed, whatever is inside comes out, right? If I squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. If I squeeze an apple, apple guts and juice come out. What happens when you get squeezed? What comes out? What comes out? For human beings, what flows from a person's mouth tells us what's going on inside their own heart. Our words directly relate to what we look at, what we focus on, and what we give our attention to. People who are always making sexual jokes or making sexual innuendos probably have sexual impurity in their hearts. Be aware of that for yourself. Those who are speaking negatively about and tearing down other people all the time probably hate themselves and just project that on everyone else they're around. Those who complain all the time are probably dissatisfied with their life and want everyone else to be miserable with them. We must be aware of what is in our own hearts. So the question is, how should we respond to James's teaching on the tongue? How should we respond? Three things. Live self-aware, submit to God, and then let God restore us, right? First one, live self-aware. I've already kind of named this. If anything, James is wanting his readers to be honest with themselves, to recognize their words. They not only have power today, and they don't only have power for tomorrow, but they also have power from yesterday. And maybe some of you just need to repent and ask forgiveness of someone for the words that you spoke. We have to be responsible. We have to examine our lives. We have to see what forest we've set ablaze by our own words. I mean, just one simple, one simple example. We all experience this. I'm in a conversation with somebody, right? I'm in a conversation with somebody about somebody else, and that person walks up, and then you make eye contact, and all of a sudden, you, oh my gosh, do they hear me? And you feel guilty. You're like, oh my gosh, should I say something? But what if they didn't hear me? Then I'll make it worse. And then you go home, you know, a cycle going on in your own head of like, oh my gosh, what should I do? And you call somebody, hey, I may have been talking about so-and-so today. I don't really know with the pure heart, right? Try to defend yourself. But you feel guilty because you were talking with them. Or how many of you, like, you have a conversation with somebody, with somebody else, and then you see somebody else over here later, and you're tainted in the way that you view them because of what you heard or what you said? That's a curse. 
It's a curse. Where is your tongue a contradiction? Where is your tongue dangerous? Where do you wound people? And you don't even know it because of your lack of self-awareness. There is nothing worse than immature, unaware people who wound people all the time with their words because they just don't ask the hard question of God. God, search me and know every evil thought in me so I stop wounding people. It's prayer of David. Second thing, submit to God. Submit to God. Listen, they don't have the power to tame their tongue by themselves. They need the power of God to flow through them. So the spiritual fruit of self-control has freedom to move in their lives. I'll say that again. They don't have power to tame their tongue by themselves. They need the power of God to flow through them. So the spiritual fruit of self-control has freedom to move in their lives. James tells them in chapter 4, verse 6, let's have a look more at this in the upcoming weeks. He says, talking about God, but he, God, gives a greater grace. Grace is simply God's ability to do the things we can't do in our own strength. I will say it again. Grace. Don't get confused by that word. The ability of God given by God to do the things that we can't do in our own strength. So what he's saying is God continues in life to give you greater grace every single day to give you the strength to do the things you can't do in your own strength and to do it with his strength. Right. So in it, he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble who submit, therefore, to God. They resist the devil and he will flee from them. So he comes in the moment because here's the thing about James just so you can pick it up. Everything that James is telling them to do from chapter one to chapter five, they actually can't do any of it in their own strength. They can't not discriminate. They can't not show favors. They can't not give in to temptation and trials apart from the power of God's spirit and grace moving in their lives. So he's coming and saying, listen, you can't do any of these things. You have to submit to God. You have to surrender to him. You have to humble yourself, make yourself low and make much of Jesus so that now God's grace can flow in your life and empower you to tame your tongue so you stop wounding people. We have to submit to God. We have to submit to him. God's grace is required to do these things. And the only way that we die to what is corrupting our heart is if we humble ourselves, surrender to God, and walk away from the work of the enemy. The only way we tame our tongue is by surrendering to God what we allow to enter our heart. Like if there's one phrase I said this morning that some of you need to take away is this one. You're like, what did he say? Wasn't paying attention. Great news, I'll say it again. The only way, only way we tame our tongue is by surrendering to God what we allow to enter our heart. We must surrender to him. And the third thing is this. Let God restore us. Let God restore us. Let's rest assured in this. Each of us have hurt people. Each of you have hurt people with your words. And each of you and each of us have been hurt by other people's words. I mean, many of us reject others. Why? Because we've been rejected. I've said a thousand times, if not more. Wounded people wound people. Recognize what is coming out of you. 
the salt water coming from your freshwater spring, the forest you were setting ablaze because of your own words, and find healing. Let God restore. Look at what David says about how he handles slander in Psalm 119, 23-24. I don't know if you've ever seen this verse where I've never seen it. It says this, Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. So David's sitting in this moment saying, man, even though these people in power behind my back are speaking against me, in those moments, rather than focusing on those words, your servant turns and meditates on your words. Test this, remember your stories, and that's what I delight in, because they're the ones who counsel me, they're the ones who speak to me. So what David is saying, I begin in those moments of slander, not looking at those things, not casting stones, not throwing back insults, but I turn to Jesus and say, those words hurt, I'm going to be honest, but I need your presence, I need you to move, and I need your words to counteract these words, because these words are always true, and these are not. So that's where he begins, focusing on the word, focusing on the statutes of God, focusing on the truth of God's word. David turned his gaze and his affections toward God. Listen, we all need healing. We all need the great physician, Jesus, to touch our hearts and, to, and our minds and to bring restoration. So with that, we invite the ministry team to come forward as we come back into a time of, of worship and a time of prayer. And I want you to hear me say this this morning, that the, the place that we begin is being honest, right? We, the place we begin is letting Jesus speak into these areas of brokenness, of being honest with him, listening to his words, listening to his truth, letting Jesus in our intimacy shift us. One of the things that God's been speaking to me, and I wrote that in my notes several weeks ago, and I keep on reflecting, is, is basically this. I'm going to paraphrase what I wrote down, but basically I feel like God was saying, Steve, take all of your weights this is a word for me, and so it's a word from the Lord, so I encourage you to listen to it. Take all of your weights, Steve, and bring them to me into my presence. But don't talk about them. Just focus on me until the weight of them goes away because the weight of my presence has taken its place. I don't have to go pray through it. I don't have to go figure it out. I don't have to go create a one, two, three step system to get over this stuff. I just need to get into the presence of Jesus, let my honesty flow to him, and just focus on him until he just like washes over me. So some of you just need to go do that. Some of you this morning, you need to get some prayer ministry. Our ministry is available, and they just want to pray for you about these things. Third, here, this is super important. Some of you need to go see a counselor for the next three months once a week. So you go sit down with a counselor. Their job is to help you connect with what you can't see, help you see it, and get whole. I could literally tell you story after story after story after story after story of a person being led by a God-fearing counselor through difficult emotions to get to a place of health, and now they are free. It's a holistic thing. They do all this stuff. Getting the love of community. Some people, man, like you just need to get around people who will love you. Stop, listen, stop sabotaging all of your relationships by having unrealistic expectations of people. 
You sabotage relationships. Like, well, they don't do this, this, this. They might not love me. I'm like, they're human beings like you. Give them grace. Let them love on you the best way that they know how. Don't sabotage relationships. Just allow God to put you in these relationships so people can be honest with you love on you. They're probably not going to call you exactly when you want them to call them. They're probably not going to show up exactly when you want them to show up. They're not going to say everything exactly the way that you want them to say it. Man, just let them do their best to love on you and in the context of the community, let God bring healing. You're not rejected. You're part of a family. God sets the lonely in families. That's what he does. Let him do it. So, Father, have your way in our midst this morning. Invite you to respond as the Lord leads, as we always do. We have our offering baskets here, giving kiosks there. And the idea is this is an act of worship for us. Just saying, Lord, you've given, I want to give back. We have communion available every week. And the communion is ultimately about us recognizing the work of Jesus to bring salvation, to set us free yesterday, today, and forever. We have ministry teams available on both sides. If they get full, if you're a part of the ministry team, then I invite you to come forward and make some more space for others to get ministry, okay? So if they get full, immediately prepare yourself to come forward, okay, and pray for people. Let's let God know. We'll come back up here in a few minutes, and I'll pray us out, but let's respond to the Lord in some form or fashion this morning.